Good morning, everyone. It feels like ages since I was last up here speaking to you. And I, it's just so good to be here talking. And you know you're going to be preaching because you have a really bad week leading up to it. <laughs> and I've made it to Sunday. Uh, I've been away since five. Eden's been crying nonstop since five, but I've made it to Sunday. And it's so good to be here and exciting to be in our Jubilee 20 sermon series, celebrating 20 years of Jubilee Church, a church for everyone. And the amazing thing about this church is it's always felt like a church for everyone. Like everyone can belong. Everyone can play a part. Everyone is part of the family. Everyone's welcome. And I remember when I first started coming to Jubilee um, a few years ago, one thing I noticed straight away was that everyone in the church seemed genuinely interested in me. So the people I met genuinely seemed interested in me as a person. And that's what I love about Jubilee. That's why it's great to celebrate being a church for everyone. And uh, to be preaching through Isaiah 61 for this sermon series just feels natural. Because Isaiah 61 is the Jubilee Church passage, isn't it? Yeah. Um, And I've so enjoyed looking into it in more detail and studying more about it in the last couple of weeks. So we're going to read through Isaiah 61 again this morning. Okay, but I'm going to change it up a little bit. We're going to read it from the message version. Okay, just to stop you guys from getting too familiar with it, we're going to read it in a different translation. So unless you've got a message Bible with you, the word's going to appear on the screen behind me. Okay, let's read. So it says, The Spirit of God, the Master, is on me, because God anointed me. He sent me to preach good news to the poor, heal the brokenhearted, announce freedom to all captives, pardon all prisoners. God sent me to announce the year of his grace, a celebration of God's destruction of our enemies, and comfort to all who mourn to care for the needs of all who mourn in Zion, give them bouquets of roses instead of ashes, messages of joy instead of news of doom, a praising heart instead of a languid spirit, rename them oaks of righteousness, planted by God to display his glory. They'll rebuild old ruins. They raise a new city out of the wreckage. They'll start over on the ruined cities, take the rubble left behind and make it new. You'll hire outsiders to herd your flocks and foreigners to work your fields, but you'll have the title priests of God, honored ministers of God's. You'll feast on the bounty of nations. You'll bask in their glory because you got a double dose of trouble and more than your fair share of contempt. Your inheritance in the land will be doubled and your joy go on forever. Because I, God, love fair dealing and hate thievery and crime. I'll pay your wages on time and in full and establish my eternal covenant with you. Your descendants will become well-known all over. Your children in foreign countries will be recognized at once as the people I have blessed. I will sing for joy in God, explode in praise from deep in my soul. He dressed me up in a suit of salvation. He outfitted me in a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom who puts on a tuxedo, a bride, a jeweled tiara for. As the earth bursts with spring wildflowers and as a garden cascades with blossoms, so the master God brings righteousness into full bloom and puts praise on display before the nations. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for that passage, Lord, that Jubilee Church passage, Lord, Isaiah 61, Lord. I thank you for all that says about you, God, all that says about your grace, all that says about your goodness, and all that says about the mission that you've got us as a church on, God. Lord, would you bless us this morning? Would you speak to our hearts? And I pray, Lord, would we be open to hear from you? Amen. I love that translation. Obviously, I would never recommend just reading the message version of your Bible. 
okay? But do look up the message version of certain passages, all right? The message is a great way of interpreting the Bible in almost a modern way, and it's got some really helpful ideas in there, such as um, bouquets of roses and tuxedos in that, in that passage there, okay? And this morning, we're going to be looking at a different group of people as we explore being a church for everyone. This morning, we're going to look at what I talked about in verse 1 as being a church which proclaims good news to the poor. And this morning, I want to look at what different types of poverty are described in the Bible, why it's important for us as individuals to help the poor, and also what that means for us in our lives. And when I was preparing for this talk over the last couple of weeks, I was actually a little bit worried. Uh, the topic of the poor is massive. Like, there's literally so much I can say in terms of this topic of helping the poor. But as I was praying, I just felt like God wanted me to bring a little bit of clarity as to exactly what he means by the poor. So hopefully you'll find it helpful this morning. See, the passage is clear about the poor, but that definition for us today looks very different to how it looked in the context of that passage. All right, so I want to spend a little bit of time looking at what poverty is around us and what, who are these poor people that we want to help. All right, and there's a, an amazing book written by our friend Martin Charlesworth called The Myth of the Undeserving Poor. And uh, I'd recommend you have a read of this. A lot of the descriptions that I give about poverty come from this book. All right, um, so have a read of that. It's uh, The Myth of the Undeserving Poor by Martin Charlesworth. You see, on the face of it, helping the poor seems like a pretty natural thing to do, doesn't it? Like, no one's going to argue with me if I stand up in here and say that it's good to help the poor. But I think sometimes the poor just can't seem relevant to us. Like, it's someone else's job to help the poor. Like, the food banks can do it. Christians Against Poverty can do it. Soup kitchens can do it. Citizens Advice can do it. It's not my job. That's how it can sometimes feel, can't it, about the poor? But actually, what have I told you that the biblical descriptions of poverty can hit a lot closer to home? See, essentially, we're going to look at four different types of poverty in the Bible. We've got economic poverty, which is uh, lacking material means. We've got re relational poverty, which is having no support of community or family around you. We've got aspirational poverty, which is lacking the, the hope uh, to get out of a situation. We've got spiritual poverty, which is not knowing the love of God. And when we take those four descriptions of poverty, suddenly it can seem a lot more relevant to us. See, suddenly we all know people that are poor. You see, if we look in the Bible, there are a number of ways and, and examples of, uh, especially in the Old Testament, of describing poverty. Uh, let me give you a few. So the po po poverty is described as widows, fatherless, foreigners, simply the poor. My challenge to us is, if we have a small view of what poverty is, if we specifically focus on one group of people focusing all our attention on helping them, I think we're missing out on so much of what God's called us as a church to do in terms of helping the poor. Yeah? So that's why it's good to have a broad um, understanding of what poverty is. Like, look at Jesus, for example, in the Gospels. We see many poor and needy people come to Jesus. But we also see Jesus go to many poor and needy people who maybe didn't know that they were poor and needy. Why? Because Jesus knew different types of poverty. 
Check out this quote from Martin Charles' book. It says, when it came to dispensing mercy, Jesus viewed the tax collector as just as needy as those begging on the streets. Because Jesus knew that the tax collector was relationally poor, lacking a community who cared for and supported him, even though he may be economically rich. Now, that's so true. Taking the example of Jesus, we need to lift our eyes up and broaden our horizons to the poverty that's around us. Let me just spend a couple of minutes looking at what poverty we can see right here in Teesside. Let's look at the different categories. So take economic poverty, for example. Teesside is one of the poorest areas in the UK. The facts and figures are there. Economic poverty is all around us. Unemployment is high. Life and expectancy related to economic poverty is uh, lower than the average. The economically poor are everywhere around us. And you know what? This is something which really hit home for me a few years ago when um, they, they filmed a Channel 4 documentary called Benefit Street right here in Teesside. Does anyone remember? An awful program. And uh, when it first aired, I'd just got married and moved to Stockton. I'm from Darlington, which is a little bit posher than Teesside. <laughs> That's for you, that, Sam. And uh, <laughs> I didn't know much about Teesside. And I remember when they started filming Benefit Street and it came out on the news that um, the actual Benefit Street in Stockton was five minutes uh, drive away from where I lived. And I was shocked. I couldn't believe it. The poverty which is right on our doorstep is crazy. It's absolutely mad. And I'll talk a little bit later about what we can do about it. But let me just say this. As a church, we are blessed to be in one of the poorest parts of the country. Why? Because God can use us to make a real impact in this area. Let's look at a different um, example. Okay, what about relational poverty? People lacking family or community. Oh man, this is another area that's massive in Teesside. Like think about, for example, our refugee and asylum seeker brothers and sisters, many of whom are separated from their families thousands of miles away from home. I bet these guys are experiencing that relational poverty. What about um, older people living alone in Teesside, people who've got no family around them, who rarely get, rarely get visited by their families? Or single parents? I bet these guys experience this relational poverty. And there are loads and loads of people in our lives that we know personally who fall into this group. Relational poverty. But let me tell you something. This is the easiest one for us to reach. Why? Because Jubilee, community, is at the heartbeat of everything we do. We are a church that embraces community. Everything that we do is focused on people belonging People feeling like they are part of our family, part of the community of Teesside. We are all about community. That's what we do. So people who are relationally poor, we can reach those guys just by being ourselves. Just by being the church that God's called us to be. What about the next one? Aspirational poverty. This one, again, is massive in Teesside. Up until a few months ago, some of you will know that I was working with unemployed people in, uh, in the area. And let me tell you, this aspirational poverty is massive in this area. And it's something that's just not talked about. So the amount of second and third generation of unemployed people I saw was immense. People whose parents have never worked, whose grandparents have never worked, and couldn't see a way out of that. 
People who've always lived life in a certain way and just don't have the aspirations to dream bigger. And you know what? I think as a church, we can help these people. Because what have we talked about this morning? God gives us a new identity. God gives us hope. Aspirational poverty is another one. The final group, the spiritually poor. Well, this one, again, is massive. It's a Bible verse, Ephesians 1.17. And this is Paul. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Paul speaks to the Ephesian church. He wants them to get to know God better. Why? Because without knowing God better, you're going to be spiritually poor. Yes, you can search in different places for meaning. You can search in different places to be fulfilled spiritually. But without knowing God as your father, all of that is going to come up short. So do you know what? We all know people who are spiritually poor. We all know people in our workplaces, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, in our families who are spiritually poor. We've got a job to help these guys. So that description of poverty, spiritual poverty, is unescapably relevant to us. So by looking at the different types of poverty, hopefully now you can see that this is something which is relevant to us as a church, yeah? It's relevant to us. Poverty is all around us. But why exactly should we help the poor? Like, what exactly does the Bible say about helping the poor? Because let's be honest, you can see a million reasons why you shouldn't help the poor sometimes. Let me tell you a quick story, all right? When I was 16 years old, I was a new Christian, and I used to have a Saturday job working in a bakery called Thomas the Baker's. It's a bit like Greg's, but better. And uh, as a new Christian, I was passionate about sharing the love of God with anyone who would listen. So one afternoon, one Saturday, I was walking home from my Saturday job at the baker's, and one of the great things about working in the baker's was the free sausage rolls. So each Saturday, I'd fill my bag up with sausage rolls and go home and just get fat during the week. And uh, as I was walking under the underpass out of Darlington Town Centre, I remember seeing this homeless guy sat down begging. It looked like he'd been sat there all day. He looked freezing, and I thought to myself, this is my moment. I'm going to spread God's love to this gentleman through the medium of sausage rolls. So I walked over, filled with the boldness and confidence that can only come from a new Christian. I said, hi there. Are you hungry? I've got some sausage rolls in my bag. I'd love you to have them. This bloke looks at me and gives me the response that I'll never forget. Knocks me off my feet with surprise. He says, nah, mate, I'm not hungry. You what? You're homeless. You're not hungry. <laughs> what? At around the same time, a group of my friends were youth workers in Darlington. They were in their early 20s and had a shared house that they lived in. And they'd open up the doors to this homeless guy they'd met in the street. He used to come into the house each night for a bath and some food. They got really friendly with this guy and, uh, over, over a couple of months. And they ended up giving him a house key uh, to come into the house, only for him to walk out with three laptops and a box of DVDs. And I remember after these two events feeling absolutely furious. And my opinion on helping the poor, certainly the homeless, changed these people don't even need our help. They only want our money. They ain't even hungry. They don't even want sausage rolls. <sighs> Obviously, I've grown up a little bit since then. I've become a little bit less naive. But you know what? We can sometimes have that opinion when it comes to helping the poor. We can get a little bit suspicious. But it's important that we look at this issue through the lens of the gospel. 
Let me read you a quote. It's quite a long quote, but stick with it because it's, uh, it's a good one. It's by Phil Miller. It says, there are plenty of fine-sounding reasons we can give for not helping the poor. But those who have truly responded to the gospel know that Jesus could have used every single one of them not to save us. We say the poor don't deserve our help because they brought this poverty on themselves. But Jesus could easily say the same thing about us. The essence of the gospel is that the Holy Son of God shed his blood for the guilty and the undeserving. We say the poor are likely to abuse my kindness, but Jesus might have said the same thing about us with far greater reason. We complain that it's not my money, but Jesus might have said the same thing about his bloods. The fact is this, if we understand the gospel clearly, then helping the poor is something that's going to be natural for us. Like we should naturally have a passion for it because we are people living under undeserved grace. And because of that, that should warrant us to give grace to other people, even if they don't deserve it. It's challenging stuff. But what else does the Bible say about helping the poor? Well, the main reason we should give for helping the poor is because God is a God of justice, isn't he? We've got to believe that God is a God of justice. It's written all over the Bible talking about God as a God of justice, but especially in Isaiah 30, 18, when it says, Yes, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up and show you compassion, for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. If we are passionate about following a God who loves justice, then we ourselves should be people who are seeking justice. That includes helping the poor. Not just helping them out of guilt or out of duty, but helping them out of a serious anger towards the injustice of poverty. One of my favourite Bible verses is in Amos 5, uh, and it's a call by the prophet Amos to let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. He's talking about a flood of justice. Isn't that what we want to see? We want to see a flood of justice because God is a God of justice. But you know, it goes deeper than that. So we're made in the very image of God, aren't we? All of us are. We're all masterpieces. We're all a work of art, as some translations of the Bible put it. And if we see all of humanity in that mindset, then justice suddenly becomes important to us. Why? Because the very idea of one of God's masterpieces, someone made in God's image facing injustice, should worry us. Something within us should look for justice for that reason. But why else should we care? Why else should we care about helping the poor? Well, one of the reasons is because God tells us to do it a lot. So in the Old Testament, there's three... I'm going to give you a bit of theology here, by the way. I've been on one school of leadership, so I think I'm a theologian. Um, <laughs> there are three main ways God speaks to us in the Old Testament. Okay, He speaks to us through the law, through the prophets and through the wisdom scriptures, Psalms, Proverbs, etc. And all three of these in the Old Testament included clear, authoritative instruction regarding how the poor should receive compassionate priority. God's not messing about here. He clearly wants us to get the message, help the poor.
tell you what, I blame the parents. <laughs> oh, another reason, let's get back on track. Another reason why it's important to help the poor then. Uh, have a look in Galatians, New Testament. Galatians uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. There's an amazing passage where Paul is talking about being accepted by the apostles at the start of his missionary journey. And he makes an amazing point talking about how God shows no favoritism. And God's message is in the important thing, not the person who's given the message. That's encouraging, isn't it? God's message is more important than the person who's given the message. But um, at the end of that passage, there's, a, there's an important part which I want to just talk to you about. And it's um, a call from the apostles, so those who are closest to Jesus, that Paul should go and speak to the Gentiles. But they would only ask him to do one thing, and that is that he would continue to remember the poor. That's the important bit of advice to give to him. Let let me just get you to grasp the magnitude of this here. Paul is the greatest missionary that ever lived. The guy who would go on and write most of the New Testament. And this is right at the very beginning of his journey. He's being blessed. He's being sent out by the apostles, Jesus' best mates. I mean, this is a big, big, big moment. And they give him one piece of advice. What's that advice? Continue to remember the poor significant, isn't it? Do you know what? This is so important to us as a church and as Christians individually that this could never just be a side project. Helping the poor needs to be key to everything that we're doing as a church. Remembering the poor, whatever that poverty looks like. Yeah? So, we've looked at who the poor are. We've looked at why we should help the poor. Uh, Finally, before I finish, I want to look at the final point, which is making this practical and individual to us. Like, how does all of this talk of helping the poor affect us personally? I want to just tell you a quick story to kick off how we apply this to ourselves personally. And it's a story that's found in Luke 14. It's uh, a famous story about Jesus going and eating at the Pharisee's house. If you're not familiar with who the Pharisees were, they were a group of strict religious Jews who tried to follow a set of very strict religious rules in order to win favour with God. And throughout the Gospels, we can see them constantly battling with Jesus. But during this meal, Jesus comes across a person who's sick. And he's got got swelling in his body. He's he's sick. And and Jesus decides to challenge the religious people. He says, he, he challenges them about whether or not it's lawful to heal this man on the Sabbath day. And Jesus goes on to teach them all about the Sabbath and warns them all against a religious attitude. I mean, he really goes to town on them. But then at the end of it, he, he has an amazing couple of lines, which I just want to read to you. Okay. It says this. It says, Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they can't repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. That's challenging stuff. Let let me just sum up what Jesus is saying here in simple terms. He's challenging us not to be comfortable. He's telling us to get out of our comfort zones. Do you know what? If we really want to be a church that helps the poor, then we need to get out of our comfort zones. 
challenging stuff. But do you know what? Jesus has a habit of challenging us, doesn't he? If you really want to be challenged, I want to recommend another book to you. Um, I completely forgot about this book, but Raj reminded me about it the other day. It's just a little tiny book called Gagging Jesus by a guy called Phil Moore. There it is. And it talks about some of the most challenging things that Jesus says. And let me tell you, it'll make us squirm. That's my word of warning before reading it. I do recommend reading it, but it'll, it'll change your life. And in this book, there's a really helpful chapter about what Jesus says about reaching the poor. See, Jesus tells a, a pretty challenging parable about sheep and goats. Do you know the parable I'm talking about? People being separated into groups, those who cared for others and those who didn't. You read all about it in Matthew 25. Uh, essentially, it's a passage where Jesus talks about not feeding him when he was hungry, not clothing him when he was naked, not visiting him while he was in prison. It's one of the most challenging things which Jesus says. But Phil Moore writes about this. He says, Jesus offends us with the parable of the sheep and the goats. This parable is therefore a warning that how we treat the poor is a mark of whether we are really, truly following Jesus at all. Is anyone else a little bit uncomfortable hearing that? How we treat the poor is a mark of whether or not we truly are following Jesus at all. Flipping heck. Jubilee, I would say that caring for the poor needs to have as big an impact on our lives as the gospel itself. Why? Because caring for the poor is so central to what Jesus talked about when he came. Like, what do I mean by that? So caring for the poor is something which needs to become a vital part of our life. It needs to change our thinking. It needs to shape what we spend our time on, what we spend our money on, where we live our lives, the friendships we make. All of that needs to be uh, changed by thinking about the poor. See, we need to be aware that the lives we're living and the message that they give to those around us, which I hope you've gathered by now includes the poor. Jubilee, what type of Christianity is being expressed by the way you live your life? Is it a Christianity is great and makes me feel good inside the church of all my Christian friends? Or is it a Christianity means I want to get my hands dirty serving others because that is what Jesus calls us to do? What type of Christianity do we want to express to other people? Surely it's the second one, right? But as a church, we're doing some amazing things which do express Christianity in the right way. Things like Open Door, our involvement with safe families, picnic churches and alpha courses and meetings in coffee shops and supporting churches in Ghana. All of these things are showing what, that we are a church that cares about others. That's amazing, but there is more that we can do. There's always more that we can do as individuals. If Van could come up, that would be great. Um, I want to quickly talk about something which uh, Terry Virgo helpfully talked about, um, which is an attitude that we can have as a church and as individuals. Okay. Terry Virgo describes um, a generosity splurge. I love that word. I'm not sure how you translate that into, into Farsi, but uh, a generosity splurge. He talks about the early church saying one of the things that really set them apart was a sense of generosity and freedom from possessiveness. If you want it and I've got it, and you need it, I guess you should have it. Selfless living. The early church was marked by something which was much more than just giving 10% of their income. It was much more than just a bit of fellowship that involved a cup of coffee after the service and small talk. 
There was a genuine passion and partnership with the poor. Jubilee, if we are going to be a church that really does reach the poor, and I mean really does reach them, then I want to encourage us all that as a church we need to have that generosity splurge. And that's going to cost us. It's going to cost us financially. It's going to cost us in terms of time. It's going to cost us in terms of taking us out of our comfort zone. But that really is how it has to be if we want to make an impact in the lives of the poor. Let me end with a more personal challenge then. A couple of weeks ago, someone said this to me, and it, it kind of rocked me a little bit. This person said to me, are we really living lives that only make sense if Jesus is in them? Let me rephrase that. Are we living lives that literally make no sense without Jesus? Our friendships, our time, our dinner tables, our workplaces, our finances, do these things look absolutely bizarre if you take Jesus out of the equation? I hope you see that this links to the poor. I hope you get that, but I want to challenge us personally as well. Is your life an adventure that only makes sense with Jesus? If you took Jesus out of your life, would people look at your life and say, oh, that's a pretty normal life? Or would people look at your life and say, this is absolutely ludicrous. You live where? You spend, you spend your money on what? You have who around for dinner? You spend how much time away from your family doing church stuff? Do you believe, are we living lives that only make sense if we've got Jesus in them? And if we're not, why not? I'm challenged here. <laughs> Would our lives look absolutely confusing if we didn't know Jesus? Because that's the impact Jesus should have on our lives. Do you know, if you've really grasped Jesus, then that needs to impact your life massively. Massively. To the point that it looks absolutely bizarre to someone who doesn't know Jesus. It feels like appropriate in this season, 20 years of Jubilee, to ask that question. To challenge us to not be comfortable to challenge us as a church to go after Jesus, whatever that costs. Why don't you stand? I'd love to pray for us. Um, so it seems significant about this. I feel like Jesus just wants to, to just challenge some hearts this morning about the type of lives that we're living, about our comfort zones. And what I'd love to do is, um, I'm going to pray for us, and then Andy's going to sing a song, and I'm going to get up and pray for us again. All right, and uh, as I pray for us that second time, um, I'm just going to have a bit of a response. And if you want to come forward to be prayed for at that point, then I'd love you to, we don't do this very often, just to come to the front. All right. So as I pray the second time in the middle of the song, I'm going to encourage you, if, you're chal- if you've been challenged by this morning about being someone who helps the poor, about being a church for the poor, and about living a life that only makes sense with Jesus, if you've been challenged by that, I want to encourage you to come to the front when I pray the second time. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much, God that you've put us in a church which is making an impact in Teesside. God, I want to thank you so much that you've given us lives, Lord, that are built on undeserving grace. Lord, that we're people who are free because of you, Lord. And because of that undeserved grace, Lord, you challenge us to give that grace to others, Lord. You challenge us to reach the poor with that undeserving grace. Lord, I pray for each of us, Lord, that we would be people, God, who are challenged about how we help our brothers and sisters, God. 
those who are economically poor, those who are spiritually poor, those who are aspirationally poor, those who are relationally poor, would we be people who are passionate about helping the poor? Why? Because you helped us, gods. Because you gave us new life, gods. Lord, would you continue to stir us up this morning, God? Would you continue our heart to speak to our hearts, I pray, Lord. Amen. Let's sing.